Well, good morning, everyone, especially if you're visiting with us this morning. A very warm welcome. It's great to see you with us. And can I say, as Derek said before, I think it's great um, that we've spent some time already this morning in prayer. Um, I know that makes a lot of us feel uncomfortable, um, but that's a good uncomfortable to feel because as Christians, we know um, that God answers our prayers and that the world is a different place as a result. Well, we're going to be continuing our series this morning in 2 Corinthians. So if you'd open your Bibles or your corner posts to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to be reading from verse 7 through to chapter 4, verse 18. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 7. And this is God's word. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in compassing in, in sorry, for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers, to, uh, covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, 
who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that, that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Would you please join with me in prayer? Father, it is a great delight that we can come before your throne of grace this Lord's Day to worship you, and to hear you speak to us through your word. We want to pray now, Lord, that you would give us the grace to hear uh, what you would have us understand and do. Father, give us a deeper revelation of your love for us in Christ. And Father, be with me as I speak that both what I say and how I say it would be what you would say and how you would say it. We commit out this time into your hands and ask for your blessing. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I did an interview um, with a guy last year called Paul McKendrick, who is in charge of an organisation in New South Wales called Ministry and Mission. It's basically the committee of the church which looks after ministers and home missionaries, anybody in pastoral ministry throughout the state of New South Wales and the Australian Capital Territory. And he was telling me of the current crisis that is, exists in the church at the moment 
of the number of men who are dropping out of pastoral ministry. Not because of moral failure or anything like that, but because they've simply given up and they've chosen to go back and to do something else. And sadly, a lot of it has to do with discouragement. I'm told that this is a growing problem, not just in the Presbyterian church, but in every other denomination as well. Ministers are just not going the distance. And in the, and in the next couple of years, it's projected that there'll be more and more and more vacancies. Now, this is not just an issue for pastors or for missionaries, is it? Every Christian is involved in the work of the Lord. And it's a temptation that every follower of Jesus faces, is to give up and to not go the distance. How do we keep going then and not lose heart? How do we keep serving the Lord with zeal and even joy? That's a key question that the passage before us today addresses. And it's a subject which is incredibly important. As you can see from your outlines, my goal today is pretty ambitious in that I'm seeking to make 10 points. My goal is to, quite frankly, try and overwhelm you with encouragement. That God's word would give you the strength and the inspiration to keep on going, especially if you feel like giving up right now. So let's get straight into it. The first point Paul makes is that the ministry which we have received is far more glorious than that which was even given to Moses. Between verses 7 and 11, the term glory is mentioned nine times. And Paul, uh, the point that Paul is making is really clear. The new covenant outshines the old covenant in terms of glory in every way. Because what the law did is it essentially condemned. It showed people not only how holy God is, but like an x-ray, it showed us how broken we all are. For we are unable to keep it. The ministry of the new covenant, though, is far more glorious because it produces true righteousness. For not only does Jesus take upon himself the punishment for our sins, but he also gives to us the promised Holy Spirit. The one whom, as we saw last week, Jeremiah prophesied would put God's law in our minds and write God's law on our hearts. Where we would all know the Lord from the least of us to the greatest, having a direct and intimate knowledge of him. And most wonderfully of all, where God would forgive our wickedness and remember our sins no more. That's why our ministry is so much better even than Moses. Because we are the beneficiaries of everything that the Old Testament promised. As Paul says back in chapter 1, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. The second truth we need to take hold of is whereas Moses had a fading glory in which he literally had to cover his face with a veil, we have the Spirit of God dwelling 
permanently within us. I used to think that Moses covered his face with a veil to protect his fellow countrymen from the deflected glory of God's presence that was coming off him. But while Aaron and the other Israelites were initially afraid of Moses when they first saw his face shining, that's not the reason why he covered his face. In fact, if you read the passage in Exodus chapter 34 sometime, you'll see that in verse 33, Moses put, only put on the veil after he had finished speaking with them. So he would go into God's presence. His face would shine with the glory of the Lord. They'd come out. Yes, they were afraid, but he spoke to them directly and they saw that his face was illuminated with God's glory. And then after that, he put a veil on. He was not afraid to let them see the glory of the Lord upon his face. In fact, I think that's something he himself gloried in. The reflected glory of God never had necessarily a negative effect on them. Why did Moses put a veil on his face then? Because he didn't want them to see that the glory was fading away. You see, Moses had to keep on going into the presence of the Lord to be spiritually re-energized, if you will. Because while he was repeatedly empowered by God's presence, as soon as he came out of the tent of meeting, after a while, the glory started to fade until such a point that he would go back in again and be re-energized. And Moses didn't want them to see that. What's Paul's point in 2 Corinthians then? Well, he says in verse 18, in contrast to Moses, we have unveiled faces in which we all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, from which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, this is a spiritual reality for anyone who is a Christian. The glorious work of God's Spirit is not fading. It's increasing day after day after day. This is Paul's point. And oh, how we need to be reminded of this particular truth, especially when we're feeling down or discouraged. For the Lord God Almighty is at work in our hearts by His Spirit. As we learnt last week, we are the aroma of Christ. We are the sweet-smelling fragrance of life to those who are being saved, and we are the stench of death to those who are not. The Holy Spirit is doing something inside of us, though, which is infinitely more powerful and infinitely more precious than even what happened to Moses. Because whereas he had this external glory, which rested on him and only lasted for a little while, we are being transformed daily with ever-increasing glory. Now, the reason why some people can't see this, though, is because their unbelieving hearts act as a veil. Their vision of this glory is covered because they don't have faith in Jesus. It really struck me at Nora's funeral this week, the different responses between those who do know Christ and those who do not. 
For everybody thought that Laura, oh, sorry, Nora was a lovely person, but only those who had been born again could really see what was happening in Nora's life. That there was this divine life and power at work in her, which was not from herself. But did you know that as a Christian, the same thing is happening inside of you? The spirit of the living God is powerfully at work to transform you into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. I'll say more on what that means practically in just a minute. But I just wanted to stop and reflect on what that means. Jesus is infinitely more for us than you and I will ever be for him. Jesus is infinitely more for us than we will ever be for him. He chose us to be saved, even while we were still his enemies, and he will not give up. He will continue to be at work in us. We just need to remember that, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, his comfort means not just an arm around the shoulder, but sometimes a kick in the pants. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. The third reason we should not lose heart is because God has mercifully included us in this gospel ministry. This is explicitly what Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Being called to serve God, Christ, in whatever ministry we exercise, is, I think, the greatest honour we could ever receive. It's such a privilege to be a conduit of his grace because we have done nothing at all to deserve it, even serving him. To be chosen to be his ambassadors, representing him in the world around us, is a gift, is a privilege, is a blessing. To spread his gospel and to be his witnesses, why would we give up when we have been given such a great opportunity to serve? To speak on behalf of the King of Kings, who one day everyone must acknowledge and give an account. Fourth, we should not lose heart because we know that we have a real spiritual enemy who is working against us. I don't want to suggest that there's a demon behind every problem. It's crucial to realise that sometimes our discouragements or our setbacks are greater than ourselves. It can be through conflict with others, circumstances that seem unnecessarily difficult, or like what happened to the Lord Jesus himself in the wilderness, a horrible horrible sense of accusation that we don't truly belong to God. That is one of Satan's most poisonous arrows. And it can rob us of our peace, of our strength, and ultimately of our effectiveness. My brothers and sisters in Christ, never forget 
that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And the closer we get to Christ, the more active Satan becomes in trying to make us stumble. And he will try to discourage us in all kinds of ways. It's important to remember then that our battle is not merely against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That we have a real enemy who is trying to make us stumble and fall. Following on from that is what Paul says in verse 5, and that is it's not about us. In fact, this is probably the most concise summary of Christian ministry in the whole of the New Testament. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants. What a powerful encouragement this verse is. Because if we're concerned with telling people about our own insight or our ministry is based on our own charisma, then we'd quickly burn out. But who can exhaust the infinite riches of Christ? of his sustaining power and grace, which renews our strength. There's this great verse in Psalm 18, which says, It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. Because we preach Christ and not ourselves, this is also why we don't have to use secret or shameful ways. We don't have to engage in trickery or deception because the gospel itself is powerful to save and its effectiveness doesn't depend on us. We can trust the word of God to do the work of God. Because it's his power and not our own. Following on from this is point six. And that is that the Lord God Almighty is powerfully at work in and through our witness. Verse six, Paul actually quotes from Genesis chapter one, which is really quite significant. For as the Lord brought the whole world into existence simply by speaking his word, so too, whenever we speak the gospel, the word of truth and of salvation, the Lord is powerfully at work in creating faith, in bringing people to salvation, from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. That just as the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of chaos in the opening chapters of the Bible, so too now God's Spirit brings forth people to a new birth by, by the spoken word. How encouraging is that? That God's word is so powerful that it only has to be spoken and something creative and regenerative occurs. And that is the benefit of sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. 
it always has an effect. As we read in Isaiah 55, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields crops for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You see, the Lord is what the Lord is calling on each of us to do is to be faithful in relaying his word. To truly display the aroma of Christ. We are either the smell of life or the stench of death. What matters is that we're smelly Christians. The seventh point is in many ways the most crucial. Because it's our own weakness which is integral to God in his strategy of displaying his strength. We're going to see this over and over again each week as we make our way through 2 Corinthians. Because the way that the Lord has sovereignly orchestrated things is that the treasure of the gospel is to be hidden in us, in ordinary jars of clay. And the reason why he has chosen to do things this particular way is to show that this all-surpassing power comes from God and not from us. What this means in practice is, as we saw back in chapter 1 again, the Lord purposely plans for us to go through all kinds of trials and difficulties. As the Apostle Paul experienced, to be hard-pressed, to be crushed, to be perplexed, to be persecuted, and maybe even to be struck down. Not that God does any of this in a callous or malicious way, but so that once again we don't depend on ourselves, but on him. So that his strength can be made perfect in our weakness. Which means that being weak is precisely how the Lord Jesus Christ wants you and me to feel. In fact, it's a sign that he is powerfully at work. So if you're feeling weak, don't lose heart. Just take a look again at what Paul says in verse 10. Because the ultimate purpose behind all of this is so that God's life flows through us so that we can be a blessing to others. Paul says in verse 10, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. There is something profoundly incarnational about serving Christ so that the gospel is not just the content of our message, but the shape of our message, or maybe I even should say the shape of the messenger. Because when we're faced with trials and difficulties and of various kinds, it's easy to feel discouraged, isn't it, and to give up. But can I just say, friends, Christ has you exactly where he wants you. 
Yes, you're dying. But it's through your death that the life of Jesus is being made manifest. In fact, there's no other way that the life of Jesus can be made manifest, except that you, like Jesus, die. All of which brings us to point number eight, and that is that God is faithful in delivering us. Verse 13 of chapter 4, Paul quotes from Psalm 116. It's a psalm rich with the acknowledgement that the righteous often suffer. Sometimes we go through terrible, terrible times, don't we? And yet, as we sang before, the Lord can always be trusted. Just before verse 10, the psalmist says, For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may before the Lord, walk before the Lord in the land of the living. As we all know, though, sometimes the Lord doesn't deliver us in this life. Sometimes, as with Nora, he calls us home. And on those times, we can also say with the psalmist, in verse 15 of Psalm 116, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. This is because of what Paul says in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 4. And that is, one day you and I are going to be raised with Christ. Paul says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. That's the key. The resurrection of, the, of Jesus is the basis of our sure and certain hope for the future, isn't it? It's the one defining moment in all of human history. For in breaking the power of death, the Lord Jesus has shown us where true meaning and life is to be found. At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, the great chapter in which he speaks about the nature of the resurrection and its importance to Christian faith, the Apostle Paul says this at the very end of the chapter. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. It's a powerful reminder to us as to how the resurrection changes everything and especially the importance of Christian ministry, of serving the Lord. While some of us will be called to certain tasks, we're all to be involved in the work of the Lord. In fact, we should all experience a commissioning like we did formerly for Naomi this morning. We're all to serve the Lord as we go. As members of the body of Christ, no one goes it alone. We all have spiritual gifts and we all work together for the good of the body. Whatever talent we might have been given, though, no matter how anonymous or small it might seem, God's word says that it is never in vain. It has an eternal significance. 
We might not fully perceive or appreciate what that is this side of heaven, but by faith we know that it is being used by the Lord. Why? Because Jesus rose again from the dead. The final point then is found in verses 15 to 17. And that is, there is, if I can put it like this, a ton, a tonnage of glory to come. You see, outwardly we might be wasting away. Our bodies are decaying and even our ministries might seem unimpressive and insignificant. But inwardly we are being renewed day after day. Paul says in verse 17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's a pretty huge thing for Paul to say. I know that many of us are struggling with all kinds of issues. Could be issues, difficulties in marriage, problems at work, personal health concerns or opposition from non-Christian relatives and friends. So when Paul says that our troubles on this, in this earth are light and momentary, it can seem a bit dismissive, can't it? But it's not. Remember back in chapter 1 how Paul said that he himself had recently gone through trials which were so severe that he despaired even of life itself. In his heart he felt the sentence of death. Paul knew what it meant to suffer. How can he call the troubles and the trials that we're going through at the moment, light and momentary, because he's saying it in comparison to the glory which is to come. That's what our troubles on this earth are like now. They are, in comparison to the glory which is yet to be revealed, light and but momentary. In the light of the glory that God has planned, they are nothing in comparison. So often in ministry, things can seem so difficult that we can feel like throwing in the towel and quitting. To throw our hands in the air and say, oh, it's too hard. And to just give ourselves over to the pleasures of this world. But just take a careful look at what Paul says in verse 18. This would be a great verse to memorise or to put on your fridge or something like that. Because we really need to keep this truth always before our, our minds. And we'll, God willing, we'll unpack this further next week. Paul says in verse 18, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You see, don't look to what is seen because that's passing away. Instead, look to what's eternal, Paul says. It sounds strange, but we have to look to those things which we can't see because that's the thing that really lasts. The people of this world have no idea what I'm referring to, what you're seeing, because the Bible says they're blind. Blinded by the God of this world, which is the devil. We have had our eyes opened. We have had the veil of ignorance removed. So keep on serving the Lord and don't lose heart. What you're doing is not just important, 
but the fruit of which will continue to bear all into eternity. So let's get to work and serve the Lord Jesus with renewed vigour and zeal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you that you've spoken to us through it. We thank you for the incredible amount of encouragement that it gives to us. It's almost overwhelming, Lord, to take in. But we pray, Father, that we would apply these truths to our our hearts this week. Indeed, Lord, we, we know that this is impossible with us. We pray that you would remind us of all that you are doing in and through us, especially for brothers and sisters at the moment who are feeling really down and discouraged. We pray that you would renew their strength. You would mount them up on wings like eagles, that they would walk and not be weary, that they would run and not faint. Father, may we have a sense of being renewed and strengthened by your Holy Spirit. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in response to God's word, let's stand and sing, shall we?